Shalom. Welcome again to Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I am your host, Rabbi Richard Edris. We thank you for your time and for the giving and, and joining us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you'd like to make a comment or suggestion about the show or ideas for Seekers of Meaning, please feel free to contact me at Rabbi Address at JewishSacredAging.com. That's the website, JewishSacredAging.com. And feel free to visit us on the Jewish Sacred Aging Facebook page uh, as we try to tackle uh, the wonderful world of social media. One of the wonderful worlds that many of us uh, in our demographic are now living in is this wonderful club of grandparenting uh, and uh, the excitement of that. And I'll spare you about four or five days of extolling our grandchildren, but get right to our guests who are going to bring us up to date on a very, very exciting project called the Jewish Grandparents Network. And we want to welcome David Raffel, the co-founder and chief executive officer of the network, and Jane Shapiro, the co-founder of OROT, the Center for New Jewish Learning, a Covenant Award winner. And we welcome both of you, David and Jane, to, uh, to um, Seekers of Meaning. And we thank you for your time. How are you? I hope both of you are well and safe uh, in various parts of the country. Yes. Happy to be here. It's good to see uh, you, David, again. And Jane, nice to meet you uh, long distance through the Zoom or the whatever this machine mm-hmm. is. <laughs> Everybody in our little boxes. The Jewish Grandparents Network, uh, some people may not be familiar with this. So um, uh, let me ask you, David, just give me a brief overview of when did this start? You know, what's the ultimate goal of the Jewish Grandparents Network and the, and the website? So people who may not be familiar with this can jump right on it. The Jewish Grandparents Network was established six years ago, um, about the same time my uh, granddaughter was born. I became a Zadie. Um, I became a Zadie because my wife is above, wanted to be a Bubby. So I became a Zadie. And <laughs> the goal was to engage, recognize, and support grandparents as essential members of today's changing Jewish families, um, as as central conveyors of Jewish life, traditions, values, and customs, and at the same time, folks who play critical roles in supporting families um, as they kind of make their way from day to day. So we were founded on the notion or the recognition that the Jewish community at large wasn't attending or wasn't aware or wasn't supporting grandparents in the central role that they play in our families, and especially at a time when Jewish family life is changing so dramatically. So one of the things I wanted to ask you guys, uh, and this is this emerged in a series of conversations um, really trying to analyze the shifts in the Jewish community post-October 7th. <laughs> and um, the question of who really can be the transmitters of Jewish tradition. And of course, the logical answer, the quick answer is, well, it's the parents, and we have to energize parents. But having done a little bit of work with the network, and the uh, survey of the, the grandparents survey, it appears to me, or I don't want your opinion on this, that the baby boom generation, of which at least I am a member of, um, 
has really re-energized the concept of being a very activist grandparent. And in the shift of the demographics of the American Jewish family, which are huge, that it is the grandparents' generation who may, at this particular period of time, especially post-October 7, be the prime transmitters of Jewish tradition and values in Jewish families, more so even in the parents' generation. And I'd like your comment on that. Jane, take it away. Um, yeah, uh, uh, thank you. That's a, a wonderful question. And I think framing all of the questions about identity and community and what it means to be a Jew moving forward, October 7th was a significant date. Um, I often like to think that our generation, we may have been, we almost snuck out of this world, almost, as the first generation in history to have been post-Holocaust state of Israel, maybe like living in a time when Jews lived with a lot of comfort and a lot of ability to uh, move into society with a tremendous amount of freedom and could also cultivate a lot of pride. Um, and now the event of October 7, I think has caught us up straight where we have to go like, oh, we're not gonna get out of here with confronting some of the really difficult negative challenges. And I think one of the responses to that right now that I see uh, in my community going on is a doubling down on the joys of Jewish, what does it mean to be part of Jewish community uh, and the, um, the amazing values and, and just how significant it is to be a Jew and Jewish pride. And I think because we lived at a time when we, we remember 1967 or certain, just a kind of a freedom that we are positioned to teach a tremendous amount to our children or grandchildren about, about the positive aspects of Judaism, because what they might, if uh, they might now come away with um, an overwhelming amount of perhaps social media created negativity about Judaism. And we have the perspective as grandparents to say, it has not always been like this. There have been times in America where we have felt comfortable as Jews, welcome as Jews, we had access. And there have been times when celebrating Judaism has been easier. Let me help you do that. Let me remind you, I can tell my stories of my childhood and I can celebrate with you. Yeah, the stories, I think, as you, you pointed out, are, are really, really crucial because a lot of these grandchildren now are growing up being bombarded with news media stories about anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism, um, what has happened on college campuses in the last couple of months. So this is why I wanted to raise this issue because it goes to another question, another issue that I want to raise. But before I do, David, just again, give me the website in case people want to check up on that website and 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 um real fast what's the website for people who want to learn more about the network so i'll share that with you but i also want to follow up to jane's yeah. uh, lovely answer so our website is jewishgrandparentsnetwork.org and my email is david at jewishgrandparentsnetwork.org and we're delighted to talk with anybody who might be interested the website um has about i would say this point about 100 50 different resources for grandparents and grandkids, ranging from how to celebrate holidays to take good sacred aging, how to communicate, how to share family stories. We're just this week are posting a brand new section of the website called the Be Mitzvah Initiative, where it's meant for both families and for communities to elevate grandparents' roles 
uh, in the be mitzvah experience beyond coming up and being called to the Torah and sitting down afterwards. And so um, we continue to build on our content. We're now uh, developing new content around becoming a grandparent. There's no rituals in Jewish life for becoming a grandparent, so we're creating them. So there's enormous resources, both for families and the communities and professionals that seek to serve them. Uh, we also have wonderful monthly webinars, and all of those are recorded on our website. You know, um, I was reminded, Jane, when you were talking of um, Marshall Duke's phrase, an intergenerational sense of self, that uh, Marshall teaches us through his research that children who have, children who know their families stories are more emotional resilient. And this is a time when as a community we need to be emotionally resilient. And that intergenerational sense of self can elevate our family's capacity to really make our way through this complicated time. Um, so we have grandparents in our community who still remember the Holocaust. We have grandparents in our community whose early days, like me, we're filled with the miracle of Israel. And that sense of passion for Israel comes with us wherever we go. Um, I love a phrase by Mark Oppenheimer, who said that Jews, it's, Jews are the longest running book club in the world. That is, our passion for our Jewish books is something that we could be proud of and our Jewish wisdom we could be proud of. And that's something that we could share with our grandkids. At a complicated time. Yeah. Again, the stories idea. Uh, just, just run me through real fast. Um, the B mitzvah. I think you said, David. Uh, resources being put on the web to elevate the role of the grandparent as we approach these ceremonies. What exactly uh, can you walk me through some of what those resources sure. mean? Well, I'll give you one specific research. So, so one specific. Um, I'll give you one specific resource. So, as anybody who has experienced B Mitzvah these days, it's not a one day event. It happens, begins, what, six, eight months beforehand, and through the learning, whatever. <laughs> and so, what do we think about the grandparents' role or the family's role during that period when the B Mitzvah kid is beginning to prepare for his or her bar mitzvah? we created something called the Talis Project that uses Talis making as an opportunity to engage all the members of the family more inclusively in the broader B-Mitzvah experience. So it's, um, if a family chooses, for instance, to make a Talis together, which we provide very specific uh, guidelines on how to do that, um, all of the members of the family uh, can do that. If they have four Jewish grandparents, each grandparent could participate in tying one of the tzitzit. Um, they could help design. Um, you know, there's no real, other than the tzitzit, the cloth could be anything. So one could imagine that if you have grandparents who are Scottish, they could make a talit made out of tartan plaid. I'm not saying that would be something they'd want to do, but in other words, the talit project is a metaphor for creating opportunities for broader members of the family to be engaged in this liminal moment. Because it's a liminal moment, not just for the B-Mits, for kids, it's for the whole family. Oh my God, my grandson is a bar mitzvah kid. And that's, and Jane could talk about that. That's 
an incredibly important moment in the lives of families. Yeah, go, Jane, do you want to add anything? Oh, David is saying that because my oldest grandson had a bar mitzvah this summer, so he heard me. Um, mazel tov. About, thank you. He heard me talking about the event and just how it felt uh, to sit in a different seat. In you know, when you move into another seat in terms of your family, how emotional it can be, and uh, the opportunities to tell stories about you know when your grandpa had his bar mitzvah, when I when I had my bat mitzvah, and um, so. The sensitivity David is always bringing to this work, which I so much admire, is <clears throat> where's the opportunity? Where things that we take for granted, there's an opportunity here for connection, for education, for um, uh, building resilience and care. That those are very different things than saying I became a grandchild and I'm playing with my grandchild. Um, that um, when your eyes, I think, are really opened to how much depth and potential there is in all the facets of the relationship that it's always our hope. And that's why I'm so happy to be an educator involved with this because educators are always looking for opportunities for development to help people move along in life um, in quality ways and in inspiring ways. And so there's all these amazing, magical, um, extraordinary sacred moments in the journey from the time you hear that your child's going to become a parent to moving along as that child reaches bar mitzvah age or adulthood and there are opportunities to grow ourselves um and also that our practice as grandparents helps children grow um so there's a there's enormous developmental uh, potential in all the aspects of grandparenting that people don't think about they think about the 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 happy parts or the challenging parts sometimes but I feel like our mission is to, do you know how important this is? Do you realize that when you're sitting and playing that you're helping that child develop or when you're telling a story, I have to share, we have one amazing woman who participates in the, in the grandparent network. And when uh, COVID happened, she said, she said, everybody asks stories about the Spanish plague, Spanish flu. I bet there's Spanish flu stories in your families and I have one. And we kind of thought, what's she talking about? She said, when you tell a child that my grandmother, your great-great-grandmother went through a plague and she came out okay, and here you are, you will be okay too. And so that kind of the awareness of what is in your hands all the time as a grandparent is rich. So, um, and the, the website is full of all kinds of ways to access and the classes that we offer, um, there are lots of ways for grandparents to grow their practice as grandparents, uh, develop their skills and develop their kind of grandparenting muscles so they can capitalize on significant moments of our mitzvah or be mitzvah is a standout, but there are <clears throat> all kinds of weekly, daily, you know, all kinds of moments when with an awareness of the potential of what could happen, if you can mindfully grandparent at a whole nother level that may have never occurred to you before. So we're always looking for that. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Because you, you, in some of the grandparenting workshops we do as part of um, our work at Jewish Sacred Aging, this um, awareness a lot of times come up. Somebody will be talking about uh, relating uh, something in their own family, and invariably they'll say something like, I never realized the depths of what this means, what this relationship means, and I treasure this relationship and the time. 
more than any other moments in my life because I realized, first of all, it, it's hard to escape the reality of our own mortality. And so the time spent, if you're lucky enough to have that opportunity, and that's another story, uh, becomes even more precious. And especially in this, in this times of utter chaos, when we're looking for sanity or some grounding, spending time with those grandkids can be the most grounding, satisfying experience. It puts a lot of things in perspective. So you, this is, and both of you allude to this, this is sacred work in a, in the, in the real sense, I think even m more than we ever realized until we joined the club, how sacred this is. So talk to me a little bit about how uh, the two of you um, and the network reinforces this idea of what I think you, you alluded to in one of our pre conversations, what you would call sacred grandparenting. What, what is, what is that? So, um, I'll respond to that in two ways. So when we talk about sacred or use the term kadosh, we sometimes think of a time or a place of being kadosh. And I mean, I keep on going back to what our forefather Jacob said, that God is in this place and I didn't recognize it. I didn't know it. And so we start off by recognizing the sacredness of this opportunity. And, and, and again, anybody, I love that, your, your quote, Richard, anybody who's gotten that phone call and says, this is a boy, this is a girl, that's a, a profoundly sacred moment, a holy moment, a, a moment of wonder but so is when you're sitting in the car with your child and you're schmoozing, or when you're, whatever it is, each one of those moments is sacred. But we have to honor that sacredness by sanctifying it. And what does that mean to sanctify all of those moments, whether it's the be mitzvah, whether it's the birth, whether you're schlepping your grandkids to a soccer game? And that is, we have a responsibility, first of all, to honor that moment or recognize the sanctity. But something I've learned that Jane and I talk a lot about is how do we elevate that responsibility? How do we elevate that relationship? And we've been spending a lot of time thinking about what it means to be a great grandparent. I don't mean somebody who has great grandchildren, but somebody who could actively elevate their grandparenting muscle. Uh, we did a five part learning series on mindful or, um, conscious grandparenting, where we learn tools about what it means to be um, in the moment and elevate that relationship. Um, and I, finally, I'd say that part of this, two other parts of the sacred responsibility is a sacred Jewish responsibility that we have to our heritage, to our past, and to our future, to our traditions. Uh, and it's also, a, there's a kind of a sacred responsibility we have to our adult children that how do we honor them in their roles? How do we provide them with the to with the space they need to be, to be parents, to do this, to, to raise their children in their own way? You know, Jane tells the wonderful story of, of Ruth and Naomi when Ruth took the baby to her breast and said, this baby is mine. Well, that's not something we want to do, don't encourage. So um, I think there are multiple levels to this, but I think it begins by creating a kind of a, 
a sense of wonder um, in in every element of this um, relationship. I mean, so I was um, with my granddaughter, who's in first grade at Salma Schechter School, and I helped her do her Hebrew homework. She's reading Hebrew. She's six years old. It was like, this is extraordinary. And part of my responsibility was to share that Jewish learning with her and be there and validate, not just validate it, but elevate it. That this is so great, Bina. Whether her name is Bina, whole another level of wonderful. So that that's kind of the big that's where it begins, recognizing the sacredness and then and then owning and being true to that sacredness. Wait and wait until uh, uh, wait until you, you sit down with her about a year from now and try to help her with her math homework as I tried oh, to do with my my granddaughter about five years ago and I made um, <laughs> she turned around and I said well the answer is this and Ayla turned around to me and said no pop since you did that all wrong oh, and I flunked second grade math with my grade to this well, day okay she said high school she laughs hysterically he said oh yeah pop flunked math. In second grade, which is true, because it's a whole different world than I'm well, used to. Um, having said that, that was another profoundly sacred moment when she <laughs> becomes. This is a chavruta opportunity, grandparenting, and when your our grandkids become our teachers, that elevates their relationship. It's a it's a two way deal. Um, oh no! Listen, I I I'm now familiar with the entire or um over of Taylor Swift thanks to my granddaughter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whether I like it or not, but I like it or not, Jane. So how do you how do you define this sacred grandparenting? Well, as I'm an gonna, educator, yeah, I'm going to say a little bit of what David said. Um, I think that the, if somebody said what makes the grandparent relations special, it is our relationship to time. Um, we have, unlike in, in in the way in which we're differentiated from parents, it's parents never have We our, our relationship with time is number one. We can we can say to that child there is nothing more important in this moment than you and i'm going to what you call present moment for mindfulness there is nothing you are the most important thing in this moment and i think that is the 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 that's the i think the thing that makes grandchildren feel like oh my grandparents are i'm special to them especially to me is that we convey to them that our work anything else that's going on in the world is not any, there's nothing else important but them. Um, I said, I think that's one feature. Also, because we have a short span of time, we are aware of a shortened span with them. And so we want to make good on that time as much as we can. And then the third piece, and I think this is an educational piece that I love. Um, I didn't coin this expression, uh, but I love it. Um, from Jane, I say, we live, we embody, David referred to this, we in our bodies span five generation wingspan. If you can tell a story of your grandparents, you're already reaching back into the 19th century, maybe, or a great grandparent. And as you reach forward and look into these children, you're now, it might think about them and their children, you might influence into the 21st century as you speak to them. And so they might say, here's a story that I heard from my grandparents, you can span forward. And so we can represent enormous history um, and connect it to the future in some way. So um, again, that's where thinking about your family stories means so much, um, is being able to 
find those stories that you can that are that are old but really both build resilience and, and connect that child to something that they will never know. Um, I guess the example I like to give is um, I grew up in Chicago and my grandchildren live in Chicago and um, I was telling my my grandchildren about how my mother used to take the streetcar to her cello lesson and they don't know what a streetcar is unless we go to a museum but it, it's just in that brief moment that child who never knew my mother somehow can go back can time travel over a hundred years and those are educative moments for us um, as grandparents um, I do want to add one other piece that you because you asked me as an educator I think about this um, it also allows us an opportunity development in our life to um, to grow in profound ways most specifically in our relationship with our adult children as they parent there's um, if we have a stance of curiosity and support and love and connection to our the parents of these children um, we get to revisit a relationship with um, our children who we we may have lost touch with them when they were teenagers or young adults and so there's a sacred moment in that also um, I many people when they become parents suddenly go like oh my god this is what my parents did for me um, right and um, when you interview a lot of grandparents, they remember their own grandparents. So there's there's also a, a re-sifting of family relationships when people are in in the role of I'm a parent now. I have to I have to transmit. Oh my gosh, who's going to help me do that? And they begin to think about the people who did that for them. And so those are educational moments, being open to the possibilities of connection. Um, that I, I believe that grandparents are that that's the right um, seat from which to generate that kind of expression and culture in a family because parents are too busy they're too busy but we can build a, a culture of openness and like I'm really curious daughter-in-law what were your childhood traditions growing up now, I know what ours were but what are yours like or uh, where did your parents come from we can generate a lot of curiosity and connection in the families um, more than anybody else uh, in the family we have we can play that role so yeah, the the um, sacredness. One of those moments, and until you live it, I think you really it, it's too abstract. But when you when you watch your own children become parents, that is really a shehechianu moment. When you sit there and say, "Oh my God, look, we must have you know we did something right. Look, look, look what's happening, and how they they may be doing it differently. That's okay, but." Uh, that's a and it's an amazingly uh, holy moment. It's a very, very, very. It is a shehechi. What we call shehechianu moment. But before we start running out of time, I, could you you have your family in in Chicago? Um, um, uh, David, it, you know, is in, in my family in, in Baltimore. So my kids and grandkids are in Baltimore. Let Let me ask you: How does the network assist? those individuals whose grandchildren are hours and hours away that they don't live i can go pick up my granddaughter tonight at school and just drive her home just so i can spend 10 minutes with her but to see those grandchildren may be a commitment of time and money and etc 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 and and this follow-up to that is how 
because the survey pointed this out. Uh, how, what are, are, are there resources on the website, uh, dealing with this phenomenon and growth of being a grandparent in an inter, for an interfaith couple, uh, and interfaith grandchildren? Could you just speak to those, the long, the long distance and the interfaith before we run out of time? So it's very, very, very important. Yeah. Uh, two, uh, three answers, maybe more. Um, <laughs> there are resources on the website. You know, the, we have something on the family in, in our website called the Family Room, which is about 120 resources <clears throat> for grandparents and grandkids that they could use remotely. That was created at the beginning of the COVID uh, uh, period. Now, one of the things, by the way, we know is that before COVID, almost no grandparents used any kind of visual media to connect with their grandkids, either Zoom or FaceTime, and now about 80% of them do. So um, we do have resources on our website that specifically um, provide opportunities um, virtually to connect with your grandkids. We had a, a webinar just this past week on tools, resources, and ideas for grandparents uh, to connect with their grandkids who are far away, and that will be uploaded on our website very, very soon. You know, one of the easy things to, that grandparents can do that I do every time I travel somewhere, I send postcards to my grandkids. And my grandson is two. He doesn't know what he's looking at, but kids love getting things. So it, and, and it doesn't have to be a new train set. It could be a card. It could be a postcard. Um, we have, re, we have actually, uh, post on our in our family would how to maximize FaceTime or Zoom. In other words, how do you somehow create better connections with Zoom? So we, we do have a lot of resources to that. One of the things that we ask people to think about is that if you're seeing your grandkids in your home, let's say two months a year or a month a year, how are you making that time magic? Um, we, my daughters used to go to my in-laws house for about two weeks every year and it was a magical place. And so how do we make sure that our spaces and our times are magical? You know, in terms of, um, interfaith families, um, the first thing I want to say our organization believes is that the Jewish community has to, we have to move beyond seeing this as either a failure or an unsatisfactory outcome. You know, I did everything I could. I went to day school, da, 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 and still they intermarried. That's not going to help us survive Jewishly as we go into the 21st and 21st century. And I think the Pew, most recent Pew studies show that some very significant of kids being raised in multi-faith families are being raised Jewish. So we do have resources um, on our website specifically how to um, how grand, uh, our non-Jewish partners can be involved in our Jewish traditions. Uh, there's some wonderful resources by Jonathan, Jonathan Schmidt Chapman uh, on how to make ho what's called holiday discovery kits, how to make them come alive. We've had webinars on how to welcome our non-Jewish families uh, in, into our community. One of the things Jane and I are working on is a five-part learning series for non-Jewish grandparents, not to teach them how to light a Hanukkah menorah, but to help share our traditions in meaningful ways. So we believe very strongly, and I think our content and resources share that, 
that we need to be profoundly welcoming and engaging to all members of our family. It also means when we talk about the roles of our adult children, to be especially sensitive to the roles of the non-Jewish parents um, and to make sure whatever happens, they feel comfortable and welcome. And to recognize that, you know, everything is not always going to come the way we'd like it to be. We had a on our Facebook group, we had a grandparent who posted that her non-Jewish daughter-in-law wanted their new grandson to be baptized. Right. And they said, the question went out, should I go? And everybody said, you must go and be, maintain this relationship with your family. So we do have a lot of resources and it is uh, a central issue for our work. Thank you. Jane, did you want to add no, anything? No, before I, um, we I, I would say that the, the, what I said earlier about developing curiosity and being willing to ask that um, is that, that this is a skill of listening and practicing. I think that works, especially when you, when you can say to the, uh, the non-Jewish grandparents of your grandchild, tell me about, tell me about your childhood. What can I know about you? How can, and, and that is, that's not, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about this. It's just, a stance of curiosity is open and welcoming in and of itself. I'm really wondering what was it like to grow up on a farm in rural Ohio? I don't, you know, you know, what was, you know, and, um, and listening for the opportunities where the common human experiences come together. Cause we are also can build our families around those stories and those shared values and experiences. And, um, just really, we've, we've dealt, we developed a couple of really lovely, protocols and activities for people to do to interview their in-law child, to interview them in a way to get to know them better. Like, I don't know how often people like, you know, my son-in-law, he's busy working. He's I don't really know a lot about him. You know, could I make a date to get to know him better? We can do that. And I think that it's in those kinds of sincere moments of curiosity and uh, connection that we can build family relationships that transcend um you know you know origins the origins of the families i think i think we have to try we don't have it's that's also sacred building bridges is sacred work yeah i just want to say one thing very 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 quickly my son-in-law is a jew by choice um his family came over in the mayflower my family came over in steerage so i want i want to know about his life and i want my grandkids to know about his life and his experiences because that enriches who they are. Yeah, and I, I really want to thank you for this. So, I mean, the idea of the the, the holiness of the story uh, really transcends generations, time, and allows this relationship to really become, as you call it, sacred. So, David and Jane, thank you very, very, very much. Uh, continue you, good luck and success with the with the network, JewishGrandparentsNetwork.org. Uh, if you haven't checked out that website and you're a grandparent, it's probably worthwhile to um, click on it and discover the huge amount, as you've heard a little bit about, resources and opportunities for growth uh, and connection uh, with like-minded people. JewishGrandparentsNetwork.org. Uh, um, David, Jane, thank you very, very much. Continue to stay healthy. That's the most important thing. And have fun with those grandchildren. Uh, and watch out, David, for that math problem. Uh, it's uh, beyond belief. 
to all of you, thank you very, very much for your time and joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. If you'd like to help support our work, please go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com. Click on the conveniently located donate button and just follow the prompts. And if you'd like to become a sponsor of a series of these podcasts, get your word around the world, uh, please let me know. Just write me at rabbi address at jewishsacredaging.com. Secrets of Meaning is produced at the Broadcast Center of Lubeck and Media Companies in beautiful Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And a big shout out to our expert producer, Steve Lubetkin. Again, thank you for joining us. Until next time, I am your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Take care of yourself. Be kind to one another. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Shalom.